millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to Cool Canadian History. I'm your host, David Boris. It was a film advertised as the eighth wonder of the world. And it came to Canada in the spring of 1915 and was one of the most successful films of the era. In fact, it was shown throughout the English-speaking world and ushered in many revolutionary filmmaking techniques. Yet, it was also an abhorrent reinterpretation of the history of the United States with a message that blamed African Americans for the Civil War and promoted a vision of white supremacy that stoked racial fears and violence throughout North America, including being the inspiration for the reemergence of the Ku Klux Klan. While this film was an American film meant to portray a sympathetic and victimized South under the oppressive thumb of corrupt Northern politicians using freed slaves as their henchmen, the film resonated with Canadian audiences at the time and highlighted the growing dominance of American cinema in Canadian theaters while also exposing a very troubling acceptance of the racist vision portrayed in the film. This is Season 6 Episode 19, Canadian Audiences and the Birth of a Nation. Today's book recommendation is titled The Ku Klux Klan in Canada, A Century of Promoting Racism and Hate in the Peaceable Kingdom. This is a very readable book on the history of this terrible organization in this country. It is written by Alan Bartley, and it was published by Formac Publishing in the year 2020. Birth of a Nation was an entertainment phenomenon. 
It was the work of American movie maker D.W. Griffith and ran for over two hours, telling the story of a defeated band of Confederates in the aftermath of the American Civil War who band together to defend white Southerners against the depredations of recently freed black slaves, northern politicians, and carpetbaggers, that is, northerners who moved south to benefit economically from the South's reconstruction. The film is based on the Thomas Dixon book titled The Klansman, which also ran across the United States as a popular stage play in 1905 and 1906. The film, at the time, was hailed as a cinematic masterpiece. In fact, in terms of movie making, Birth of a Nation was considered cutting edge in its cinematography, with novel use of multiple camera angles, moving camera shots, and especially in its portrayal of massive battle scenes and the use of a reported 18,000 extras. It was over two hours long, cost an unprecedented $100,000 to make, and became the top-grossing Hollywood film until Gone with the Wind was released in 1940. But let's be very clear. The movie was and is utterly and horrifically racist. Even for its time, it presented a vision of American society that made many people uncomfortable. But it also was one of the most successful films of its time. Its controversial scenes were plenty, often including virginal white women as victims of predatory black men or men of mixed race. In one notorious scene, former Union and Confederate white soldiers are defending a cabin from attack by black soldiers fighting on behalf of a corrupt northern politician. When things begin to look really bad for the Union and Confederate soldiers, one former Union officer actually contemplates killing his own daughter instead of allowing her to fall into the hands of the black soldiers. The film tries to explain that African Americans, not their enslavement by whites, were the actual cause of America's Civil War, and that the Reconstruction Era had in fact been a repressive and tragic attack against Southern white society. The film shows the rise of the KKK as a positive response to the oppression of Southern whites and was unrelenting in its use of racial stereotypes and playing on the fears of many white Americans. It portrayed a vision of the United States where white Northerners and Southerners united to stave off some sort of racial uprising by black Americans. The publicity for the film even had actors dressed in white robes at its premiere, and the film became so popular that it inspired the resurgence of the KKK. And this was a KKK that was even more violent and more widespread than the original, which operated in the post-Civil War period. In fact, the Fiery Cross, which became a symbol of the post-World War I KKK, was actually invented in this film and was not a part of the original KKK's toolkit of terror. 
The film is clearly abhorrent to any modern audience, but it also made many people in the U.S. at that time quite uncomfortable. It was banned in a number of states like Kansas and Ohio and in a number of cities like Minneapolis, Chicago, Albuquerque, and many more. National black advocacy organizations like the NAACP worked hard to have it banned in as many places as possible. Regardless, wherever it was viewed, there were long lineups, sold-out shows, and extended runs. And Canada was no different. Despite what many Canadians like to think about this country's history, racism towards the black community was a very real thing in this nation. There was constant anxiety and fear by Canadian whites over black immigration, particularly from the United States. For instance, in 1911, a Privy Council order outright banned the immigration of African Americans to Canada. More locally, in St. John, New Brunswick, restaurants and theaters were closed to black patrons. In Halifax, Nova Scotia, black military veterans were buried in segregated cemeteries. In the Palace Theater in Windsor, Ontario, black patrons had to sit in a segregated balcony section Racism towards black Canadians was real and rife throughout the country, but was applied in varying degrees depending on where you lived. As well, Canada's black population was relatively small and concentrated in only a few key areas, so was never as prominent a target as the large black community in the southern United States. In Vancouver, British Columbia, where racism was a very public and ugly reality, racial outbursts tended to be focused far more on the Asian community. Much of this, though, was because the Asian community was a sizable and fairly visible minority group within the city, while black Canadians made up a very small percentage of the population. A 1911 census listed only 166 in Vancouver, versus thousands of Chinese, Japanese, and South Asians. This is not to say that racism towards the black community did not exist. It certainly did. But white British Columbia was far more anxious over the growing numbers of Asians than blacks. Birth of a Nation premiered within this environment on Christmas Day 1915 to generally positive reviews. Winnipeg, Manitoba, also had a small black community, almost the same number as Vancouver. And here, too, Birth of a Nation premiered to generally positive reviews, and the film enjoyed multiple runs throughout the city. In fact, one clergyman was quoted in the Winnipeg Free Press as extolling the film's educational value and described the KKK as a symbol of an unconquered race. In Calgary, Alberta, Birth of a Nation was shown throughout the Warriors, going on multiple runs with numerous sold-out shows. And while a delegation of black residents asked the city to ban it, the city 
and the provincial censor board did not heed their calls. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Now, in the province of Ontario, a much larger black population existed with historical ties to pre-Civil War escaped slaves and loyalists who had fought for the British as far back as the American Revolution and the War of 1812. Towns like Chatham and Windsor had significant black communities, while Toronto had a smaller one, albeit fairly active and fairly connected to the other communities throughout the province, especially southern Ontario. Birth of a Nation opened at Toronto's Alexandra Theatre in September 1915. It also ran at the Central Canada Exhibition in Ottawa that same month. And while these showings enjoyed large crowds and sold-out shows, the black community in Toronto and throughout the province were very vocal in protesting against the film being shown. In fact, the film was a catalyst for organization amongst Ontario's black population. Representatives of Ontario's black community, backed by a signed petition, lobbied both the provincial parliament and the premier to stop the film. But these efforts sadly failed. The film even ran a number of sold-out showings at the legendary Massey Hall, with newspapers reporting on the film's quote-unquote historical accuracy and even referring to the leading Klansman in the movie, Ben Cameron, as an historic and gallant hero, and highlighted the film's concluding message about the unification of the North and the South. Folks, before I continue, I just want to take a quick second to let you know that we rely heavily on your donations. If you go to our Facebook page or you go to our website, you will see links to PayPal or Patreon. Both of these links provide safe and secure ways to donate to the podcast. PayPal gives you the option to donate one time, while Patreon allows you to set up regular preset donations. So if you want to donate like five bucks for every episode we publish, well, Patreon allows you to set that up safely. We survive exclusively on your donations, and every dollar donated is extremely helpful in allowing us to continue to bring you this history program. And as well, don't forget on our Facebook page, on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, on all your podcast listening apps and devices, you can leave us a rating and you can leave us a comment. We love to hear from you, so please don't be shy. And thank you so much to everyone who has donated. We could not keep doing this without you. Now back to the regularly scheduled program. If we go to Montreal, the reviews for the film were equally glowing, though they also downplayed the KKK and the racial depictions of African Americans. Like in Toronto, the small black community, most of whom were Anglophones from the United States or West Indies, 
organized to protest the film's showing. Birth of a Nation was to be premiered in late September 1915 at Montreal's Princess Theatre. And days before this, a meeting of black Montrealers at the Union Congregational Church resulted in a resolution denouncing the film and asking that it not be shown. The resolution was ignored. And then, in a murky twist of fate, the Princess Theatre caught fire the day it was supposed to premiere the film. No proof of arson was ever found. However, even this could not stop the film from being shown. It skipped across town to the St. Denis Theatre instead, and even returned for a second run in May. What's interesting about the films showing in Montreal and elsewhere in the province of Quebec was that the province was already notorious for its strict censorship of films, a product of the significant influence of the Catholic Church on the province. Many, in fact, questioned how Birth of a Nation, which showed scenes of suggested rape as well as drunkenness, passed these notoriously tough Quebec censors. Now, if we go to the Maritimes, the story gets a little bit different. New Brunswick had a relatively small black population, estimated at only about 400 in the entire province, but many of them were either liberated slaves themselves, descendants of slaves, or descendants of black loyalists, that is, those who fought for the British in the American Revolution or the War of 1812. One of the most public and well-articulated protest to the movie was in St. John, where the congregation of St. Philip's African Methodist Episcopal Church organized an official response to the announcement that the film was coming to the city. The New Brunswick Board of Film Censors then reviewed the film, but ultimately approved it. However, The group was not done yet. Nearly 100 people gathered at St. Philip's Church in the aftermath of this approval by the New Brunswick Board and sent a direct appeal to the mayor of the city to ban the film or at the very least cut some of the most racially contentious scenes. They in fact cited the case in Denver, Colorado where the film had been banned for fear of inciting racial tension. The message to the mayor focused around the loyalist heritage of New Brunswick's black community and its connection to the concept of British fair play. Effectively, fair play was the term being used at the time to denote a form of racial equality within the British Empire. Now, obviously, this was not the case for many non-whites within the empire, but black leaders clearly understood the power of this rhetoric nonetheless. Despite the articulate, well-written, strongly supported protest, the New Brunswick Film Board approved its run. Now, it was only in the province of Nova Scotia, which had the largest black population per capita in the country, where protests against the film found some success. There were sizable black communities throughout the province, including in Halifax, but also Amherst, Truro, and Sydney. In many ways, Nova Scotia was perhaps the most 
integrated of all the provinces in Canada, and this showed in the efforts to stop the film from running. For instance, in Halifax, a delegation of both white and black leaders argued that the film was a threat to public order in the city. This, in fact, marks one of the only times where the black community had white allies in their efforts to block the film. In response to this very delegation, one Nova Scotia official even traveled to Moncton to view the film before making the decision not to support its showing. Another interesting aspect of the film's arrival in the Maritimes was that it coincided with efforts to recruit black Canadians into the Canadian Expeditionary Force as part of a construction battalion for overseas service in Europe. You see, for much of the war, black Canadians had been denied the right to enlist. Yet, by 1916, pressure, particularly from Nova Scotia and New Brunswick's black communities, changed the government's mind. And this was along with, of course, growing casualty numbers. So with this change in mind, recruitment of black Canadians began. Many of those who would end up serving in the famous number two construction battalion actually came from Nova Scotia. So you have the film arriving in the province during a period of heightened racial awareness and was successfully blocked from showing in most places in Nova Scotia, including the capital of Halifax. Birth of a Nation reflected a period of globalization of American culture. The film was shown all over the English-speaking world, but it also reflected a very distorted interpretation of the past, and its successful run stimulated the reemergence of a violent and motivated KKK, one that eventually made it into Canada as well. At the same time, the challenges to the film's showing in Canada reflected an emerging civil rights consciousness within Canada's black community. And this mirrored, of course, a much larger version of it in the United States. In the aftermath of the film's showing across the nation, membership in activist organizations such as the NAACP or the UNIA increased dramatically within Canada. The film's successful run in this country showcased a very real tolerance for racism in Canada. Now, while most white Canadians often thought of Canada's race relations as fairly benign, this movie was able to pass within the cultural context because of constant comparisons to the United States with its much more public and violent racial history. Yet, the acceptance of birth of a nation across the country was a clear indicator that many Canadians inherently accepted the narrative that birth of a nation pushed. Yet, it also showed that Canada had a vibrant, and organized black population that was willing and ready to challenge a film that, despite being hailed as a masterpiece, clearly stoked the fires of racial violence and prejudice and reflected a very troubling reality within Canadian society. 
Folks, it is with a heavy heart that I have to announce that this is the last episode of Season 6. I can't believe it, but we've gotten through another one. I want to thank all of you for sticking with us this season. There is no question that this was the most dynamic of all the seasons that we have produced, as it covered a wide range of incredible topics, all with a massive pandemic raging in reality. I hope you all learned something. I know I did. And I wanted to especially thank all of you who donated to support the podcast. And don't you worry, listeners, we will be back. Do not fear. Season 7 will kick off in early September 2021. I hope you all have yourself a wonderful and safe summer. Let's hope that by the time Season 7 starts, we put COVID in the rear view. Stay safe. Be positive. Be cool. And be kind to one another. I want to thank you all for listening today. A reminder, you can find us on Facebook, you can find us on Instagram, and you can find us at our homepage, coolcanadianhistory.com. And you can find me on Twitter, at Doc Boris, that's at D-O-C-B-O-R-Y-S. Thank you for tuning in, and stay cool. Stay cool.